Lesson 11 for March 9 through to 15, The Seven Last Plagues. Sabbath afternoon, March 9. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the book of Revelation brings us so many mysteries and so many surprises. And we know about the plagues in Egypt. We know about plagues at other times in the scriptures. But this time we're looking at the seven last plagues as prophesied by John in the book of Revelation. We pray that as we read this, we may see your love, your grace, but also your judgment, that we may know where we stand. Bless us, each one, with your Holy Spirit to guide us and show us your will for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 15, verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Let's read that again, Revelation 15, verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, summarizes events on earth right before the battle of Armageddon. The nations were angry. This state of affairs on earth matches Jesus' description of the last days in Luke 21, verse 25, and is followed by God's wrath, which are his judgments in the form of the seven last plagues upon the unrepentant. Luke 21 verse 25 reads, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. And Revelation 15 verse 1 reads, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Revelation chapter 15 opens with the picture of seven angels with seven bowls filled with this divine wrath. But, before this outpouring happens, we have a future glimpse of God's faithful people. Revelation 15, 1-4. Starting from verse 1 again, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. They are described as victorious, over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, in Revelation 15, verse 2. As they stand on something resembling a sea of glass, and sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, all images reminiscent of the Hebrews on the shores of the Red Sea, celebrating God's victory over the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 15. 
These victorious saints are the same ones referred to as the 144,000 in Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5. Having refused the mark of the beast, they are protected from the seven last plagues. Then, at the second advent, their mortal bodies are transformed and clothed with immortality, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 54, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And they will join the resurrected saints when Jesus comes in power and glory, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Sunday, March 10. The Meaning of the Seven Last Plagues People have already made their choice, either for God or for Babylon, before Christ comes. However, the destructive winds of Satan's fury that have been restrained in Revelation 7, 1-3 are unleashed, followed by the seven last plagues. Revelation 7, beginning at verse 1. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having a seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Question. Read Revelation chapter 15 verse 1, along with Exodus chapter 7 through to 11. How are the Egyptian plagues considered the backdrop for the seven last plagues, instructive regarding their purpose and meaning? Revelation 15 and verse 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And uh, we'll just scan through uh, Exodus chapters 7, 8, 9, 10 and 11 rather than read every word that's there. But um, we start with uh, Moses before Pharaoh. So the Lord said to Moses in verse 1 of chapter 7, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land." And then it says, as we go further down in verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, 
Then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. And so it happened. And then, in verse 11, But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand and they shall be turned to blood and the fish that are in the river shall die the river shall stink and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river and it happened and then there was a second last plague then the Lord spoke to Moses say to Aaron stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams over the rivers and over the ponds and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments, and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me, and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And it didn't happen. And then the third plague came in verse 16. Stretch out your rod, God said to Aaron, and strike the dust of the land so that you may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. And the fourth plague was one of flies. And the fifth was livestock that were diseased. And the sixth plague were boils. And the seventh plague was hail. And the eighth plague was locusts. And the ninth plague was darkness. And then the death of the firstborn was announced in verse 1 of chapter 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, He will surely drive you out of here altogether. And so that's what happened. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. The seven last plagues are referred to as the last plagues because they come at the very end of Earth's history. In contrast, the plagues of the seven trumpets cover the time period that includes the entire Christian age and are restricted in their scope. They are executed while the gospel still is being preached, as we read in Revelation chapter 10, 
verse 8 through to 11 verse 14. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if any one wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any one wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven, so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into their graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake seven thousand people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Revelation 8, verses 2 to 5. And I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. They are mixed with mercy, and their purpose is to bring the enemies of God's people to repentance. On the other hand, the seven last plagues are poured out just prior to the second coming. They are poured out upon those who, like Pharaoh, hardened their hearts against God's redeeming love and would not repent, as we'll see in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 11. And that reads, 
they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Divine wrath is God's righteous judgment on the choices people have made. And at that time, the lost are reaping the consequences of their own choices. We're asked to look at Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Question. Read Revelation chapter 15 verses 5 through to 8 along with Exodus 40 verses 34 and 35 and 1 Kings chapter 8 verses 10 and 11. What does the statement that no man was able to enter the temple in Revelation 15 verse 8 suggest about the timing of the seven last plagues? Revelation 15 Beginning at verse 5, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God, who lives for ever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and First Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 10, and it came to pass, when the priest came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The expression, no one was able to enter into the temple, in Revelation 15 verse 8, points to the close of probation, recorded in Revelation 22 verse 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. As Christ's mediatorial ministry in heaven comes to an end, the door of opportunity to repent closes forever. Therefore, the last plagues will not bring anyone to repentance, but only disclose the hardness of the hearts of those who chose to side with Babylon, prompting them to hate God even more, as we read in Revelation 16, verse 9, And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. And verse 11, They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Look around at the world today, which is going to get even worse. What does the fact 
that the plagues have been delayed this long teach us about God's mercy and patience. Monday, March 11, the outpouring of the last plagues. With the cessation of Christ's intercession in the heavenly sanctuary, the destiny of each individual is forever determined. The time has come for those who have spurned the gospel to experience God's wrath in its fullness. The seven last plagues mirror the plagues poured out upon Egypt in Exodus chapter 7 to 11, which we read yesterday. As the Egyptian plagues affected the Egyptians while the Israelites were spared, so God's people will be protected during this time of trouble. Psalm 91 verses 3 to 10 reads, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. And in Great Controversy, page 629 to 630. The people of God will not be free from suffering, but, while persecuted and distressed, while they endure privation and suffer for want of food, they will not be left to perish. That God who cared for Elijah will not pass by one of his self-sacrificing children. He who numbers the hairs of their head will care for them, and in time of famine they shall be satisfied. While the wicked are dying from hunger and pestilence, angels will shield the righteous and supply their wants. To him that walketh righteously is the promise, bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I the Lord will hear them, I the God of Israel will not forsake them, Isaiah 33 verses 15 and 16, and chapter 41 verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labour of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet shall they that fear him rejoice in the Lord, the joy in the Lord of their salvation. Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. The Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. 
His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall be no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Psalm 121 verses 5 to 7 and 91 verses 3 to 10. Yet to human sight it will appear that the people of God must soon seal their testimony with their blood, as did the martyrs before them. They themselves begin to fear that the Lord has left them to fall by the hand of their enemies. It is a time of fearful agony. Day and night they cry unto God for deliverance. The wicked exult, and the jeering cry is heard, Where now is your faith? Why does not God deliver you out of our hands, if you are indeed his people? But the waiting ones remember Jesus dying upon Calvary's cross, and the chief priests and rulers shouting in mockery, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. That's Matthew 27.42. Like Jacob... All are wrestling with God. Their countenances express their internal struggle. Paleness stirs upon. Paleness sits upon every face. Yet they cease not their earnest intercession. Could men see with heavenly vision, they would behold companies of angels that excel in strength, stationed about those who have kept the word of Christ's patience. With sympathizing tenderness, angels have witnessed their distress and have heard their prayers. They are waiting the word of their commander to snatch them from their peril. But they must wait yet a little longer. The plagues of Egypt disclosed the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and showed the Egyptians the inability of their gods to protect them. Similarly, the last plagues increasingly hardened the hearts of the worshippers of the sea beast and revealed the powerlessness of Babylon to protect them from divine judgment. Question. Read Revelation chapter 16 verses 1 through to 11. What is happening here and how is it portrayed? Revelation 16 beginning at verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. 
And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. The first four plagues, as Alan White says in The Great Controversy, page 628, are not universal, or the inhabitants of the earth would be wholly cut off. The first inflicts painful and loathsome sores exclusively on the worshippers of the beast. The second and third plagues affect the sea and the rivers and the springs of water which turn into blood. Without water to drink, rebellious humanity cannot survive. The fourth plague affects the sun so that it scorches sinners causing unbearable pain. The unbearable pain inflicted by the plagues does not soften the hearts of unrighteous humanity so as to cause their rebellious attitudes. Instead, they curse and blaspheme God who executes these plagues, nor do any of them repent. In Revelation 16 verses 10 and 11, as we read, we can see that the fifth plague strikes the throne of the beast. And Exodus 10 verses 21 to 23 reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. It was Satan who delegated the throne to the beast, as we read in Revelation 13.2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. Now, even the seat of Satan's authority cannot withstand the force of these plagues. As people suffer in pain, they realize the inability of Babylon to protect them. However, they have set their minds against God, and even the terror of the plagues does not change their hearts. And so to finish the day, How can we maintain so close a walk with the Lord that, if tragedy strikes, we know enough of God's love to trust Him even amid suffering? Tuesday, March 12, Drying Up the Euphrates River Question. Read Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, along with Revelation 17, verse 1 and verse 15. What does the symbol of the Euphrates stand for? What is the significance of the drying up of the Euphrates in the context of the seven last plagues? Revelation 16 and verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be 
prepared. In Revelation 15 verse 1, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And verse 15, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. In the Old Testament, the Euphrates was a critical means of support for Israel's enemies, Assyria and Babylon. The river flowed through Babylon and was important to the city because it nourished crops and provided water for people. Babylon could not survive without the Euphrates. Revelation 17.1 describes the end-time Babylon as sitting upon many waters, perhaps a reference to the Euphrates, as in Jeremiah 51 verse 13, O you who dwell by my waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your covetousness. Revelation 17.15, as we've just read, explains that the waters upon which end-time Babylon sits represent the people who support it. The worldwide civil, secular and political powers behind the system. However, these powers eventually will retract their support. The scene of the sixth plague reflects the capture of ancient Babylon by Cyrus the Persian, and that's described in Daniel chapter 5, and you'll remember that Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring to the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they they could not read the writing, or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. And then we read on further that Daniel was called, and uh, Daniel answered before the king, and said to the king, Let your gifts, this is in verse 17, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing for to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honour. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. 
But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men, his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was like was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And this is the inscription it says in verse 25 that was written, Many, many tekel you fasten. This is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have weighed, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple, and put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about sixty-two years old. According to the ancient historian Herodotus, on the night that King Belshazzar and his officials had a feast, the Persians diverted the Euphrates and entered Babylon along the riverbed, taking the city by surprise. The symbolic drying up of the Euphrates in Revelation 16.12 results in the collapse of Babylon at the end time. Because the Euphrates in Revelation represents the world's civil, secular and political powers giving their support to Babylon, the drying up of the Euphrates symbolises the withdrawal of their support and their subsequent attack against Babylon, thereby causing its downfall. As the people of the world witness the upheaval in nature, as we read in Revelation 16, verses 3 to 9, they turn to Babylon for protection. Revelation 16, beginning at verse 3, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his blood on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch him with fire, scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. However, as the fifth plague strikes the seat of Babylon's authority, they see the futility of seeking help there, as we read in verses 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Feeling deceived, they turn against Babylon, causing her downfall as we read in Revelation 17 and verse 16. 
And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Yet, as we have seen, their hearts remain hard against God and his people. As such, they become fertile soil for the final deception by which Satan will draw the world to unite against God's people to wipe them off the face of the earth. And so to finish today, in what ways have you learned how risky it is to place your trust in humans and in human institutions? Wednesday, March 13, Satan's Last Great Deception Revelation chapter 16 verse 12, which was our verse for yesterday, tells us that the purpose of the drying up of the Euphrates is to prepare the way for the kings from the east. In the Old Testament, the kings from the east were Cyrus and his forces coming down from the north, then approaching Babylon from the east, as we read in Isaiah 41 verse 25. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun he shall call on my name, and he shall come against princes as though mortar, as the potter treads clay. Their conquest of Babylon made the return of God's people to their homeland possible, as we read in Isaiah 44, 27 and 28. Who says to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up your rivers? Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple, Your foundation shall be laid. In the same way, the symbolic drying up of the Euphrates prepares the way for the coming of the kings from the east to provide deliverance to God's end-time people. The kings from the east in Revelation 16.12 are Christ and his army of heavenly angels. At his second coming, Jesus will appear with his angelic host, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, as we read in Revelation 19.14, which is the dress of sinless angels, as we see in Revelation 15 verse 6, and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Accompanied by the host of heaven, Christ will, as Revelation 17.14 shows, overcome the satanic forces that oppress his people. Revelation 17.14 reads, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And we're asked to compare that with Matthew 24, verses 31 and 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. This final conflict against Christ and his people, leading up to the second coming, is known as the Battle of Armageddon. Question. Read Revelation 16, verses 13 and 14, 
What is the role of the three unclean spirits in the preparation for the Battle of Armageddon? How are they a satanic counterfeit of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14? Also check out 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Revelation 16, beginning at verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Through the final events, leading up to the close of probation, every human being will be led to choose on which of the two sides he or she will stand in the Battle of Armageddon. As a prelude to this spiritual warfare, John sees three demonic spirits resembling frogs. Satan's last attempt to deceive involves demonic, lying spirits. The dragon, paganism and spiritualism, the sea beast, Roman Catholicism, and the false prophet, apostate Protestantism, unite under Satan's command, as we see in Revelation 13, 11 and 12. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Satan enables the lamb-like beast to perform miraculous signs, as you read in verses 13 to 17. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on this earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And that includes spiritualistic manifestations. These signs are part of Satan's end-time deceptive strategy to persuade the world to follow him rather than the true God. Blinded by their hatred of God and his truth, the leaders of the world readily believe Satan's lies, which are cloaked in a pleasing religious guise, as we read in Second Thessalonians 2, 9-12. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved." And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Ultimately, they will unite in the final battle leading to the end of this world.
Thursday, March 14, Gathering for the Battle of Armageddon. Question. Read Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. How successful will Satan's end-time deception be in gathering the people of the world to the battle of Armageddon? The deceptive demonic practices will achieve worldwide success. In having spurned Bible teachings, people will believe a lie that will be accompanied by deceptive miracles, as we read in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-12. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They will unite together in purpose, symbolized by their gathering to a place which is in Hebrew called Armageddon, meaning the mountain of Megiddo. Megiddo was not a mountain, but a fortress city located in the valley of Jezreel, or the plain of Esdraelon, at the foot of the Mount Carmel Ridge. It was an important strategic site. The plain of Esdraelon was known for many decisive battles in Israel's history. As we see in Judges 5, verse 19, the kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tarnak by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. And Judges 6.33, then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. And Second Kings 9, verse 27, But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth-Hagan, so Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Ebliam. Then he fled to Megiddo and died there. And Second Kings, chapter 23, verses 29 and 30. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria by the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. Revelation uses this historical background to depict a final great conflict called Armageddon between Christ and the forces of evil. The people of the world are portrayed as a unified army under the leadership of this satanic league. The mountain of Megiddo is an apparent allusion to Mount Carmel that towers over the valley in which the ancient city of Megiddo was located. Mount Carmel was the site of one of the greatest clashes in Israel's history between God's true prophet Elijah and the false prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. This showdown answered the question, who is the true God? The fire that came down from heaven demonstrated that the Lord was the only true God and the only one to be worshipped. While the spiritual issue of the Battle of Armageddon 
will we obey God or man, is decided before the plagues fall, those who side with the dragon, the beast and the false prophet of Revelation 16.13 will then be totally controlled by the devil, as Judas was leading up to Christ's crucifixion. Revelation 16.13 read, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And Luke 22.3 Then Satan entered Judas, named Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Having chosen the losing side, they will be among those who cry for the mountains to hide them, as it says in Revelation 6.16, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Second Thessalonians 1 verses 7 and 8 reads, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, a flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before the plagues fall, however, Revelation 13 verses 13 and 14 portrays the earth beast bringing fire down from heaven to deceive the world into thinking that Satan's counterfeit, which will include false revivals led by another spirit, is the work of God. And Revelation thirteen thirteen and 14 reads, He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Armageddon is not a military battle among nations to be fought somewhere in the Middle East, but a global spiritual contest in which Christ decisively confronts the forces of darkness, as we read in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The outcome will be like that at Carmel, but on a worldwide scale, with God's triumph over the forces of evil. So, to finish the day, for many years, people have been looking at political and military turmoil in the Middle East as signs of the end and of Armageddon. Despite many predictions and date settings, Armageddon, as they have envisioned it, has not come. How can we protect ourselves from making similar mistakes in regard to interpreting these localised events as the fulfilments of Bible prophecy? Friday, March 15. From the book The Great Controversy, page 593 to 595 and page 624, we read, None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. To every soul will come the searching test. Shall I obey God rather than men? The Apostle Paul declared, looking down to the last days, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. That time has fully come. The multitudes do not want Bible truth. 
because it interferes with the desires of the sinful, world-loving heart, and Satan supplies the deceptions which they love. But God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. The opinions of learned men, the deductions of science, the creeds or decisions of ecclesiastical councils, as numerous and discordant as are the churches which they represent, the voice of the majority, not one nor all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith. Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, Thus saith the Lord, in its support. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The Church has long professed to look to the Saviour's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in the Revelation. Revelation 1, verses 13 to 14. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air, Christ has come, Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Saviour uttered. He heals the diseases of the people, and then, in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday, and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. End of quote. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, read Jesus' admonition in Revelation sixteen fifteen, inserted into the description of the preparation for the battle of Armageddon. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Note the difference of wording in Christ's earlier appeal to the church of Laodicea. I counsel you, he says in Revelation 3 verse 18, to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. How do Christ's words show the significance of the Laodicean message for God's people living at the time of the preparation for the final conflict? In what way does this message apply to you personally? And two, white and clean garments in Revelation symbolize the righteousness of Christ. As we read in Revelation 3 verses 4 and 5, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before 
his angels. And Revelation 19, verses 7 to 9, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Only those who clothe themselves with the robe of Christ's righteousness will be able to stand firm in the final crisis. How does one make his or her robes white and clean in the blood of the Lamb, as we read in Revelation 7.14? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Moses and Zimbabwe's Police and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. The 26-year-old missionary gazed at the group of 50 Zimbabwean police officers. The uniformed men and women had just participated in a colourful parade in downtown Bulawelo and they were waiting for him to speak. Emmanuel Misamango, a global mission pioneer assigned to the central business district of Zimbabwe's second largest city, began to speak about Moses. Even though Moses was in Egypt, he remembered that he was a Hebrew, he said. Moses realised, even though I'm in Egypt, I'm not an Egyptian. I don't have to follow the ways of the land. Emmanuel looked into earnest faces. Some people are amassing unjust gain. Do not follow that, he said. Live a righteous life, even though we live in a sinful world. Emmanuel, a 2017 theology graduate of Seleucia University outside Bulawayo, has a unique opportunity to share Christ. As a global mission pioneer, he has been seeking ways to reach out to police officers, government workers and university students who live and work in his district. By simply asking, he received permission to give a 30-minute devotional message at training courses for local and regional officers. Emmanuel had much more to say about Moses at the training course. Moses chose to suffer with the Israelites rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season, he said. Turning in his Bible to Hebrews 11 verses 24 and 25, he read, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Police officers thanked Emmanuel afterward. This is the devotional we need, said one. It tells us things that we don't want to hear, but we must hear. It was a word of rebuke and correction, said another. God blessed me today. Emmanuel invited the officers to enrol in free Voice of Prophecy Bible studies and gave each a book. No police officers have requested baptism, but Emmanuel is sure that the Holy Spirit is at work. After just two months of his global mission pioneer work, five university students in his district were ready for baptism. 
As Emmanuel pushes ahead, he is eager to keep preaching righteousness. Like Moses, we must always stand for the right, even though the tide of the time says we should be corrupt, he said. And part of the 2015-13 Sabbath offering went to Seleucia University to double the size of its crowded cafeteria from 500 seats to 1,000. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.